miss that? Hello, and welcome back. Hey there. How you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Awesome. I'm Christine. I'm John. And we're here to tell you crime and conspiracies again for the second week. I was just about to cut in there and say this is the best hour of the week. It is. I love it. Very exciting exciting stuff. Well, this is a show where we don't beat around the bush and talk about our life. We just kind of get right into it, right? Yeah, we already have a show for that. So let's we have get a show for that. into it. So let's get into it. So today I've got kind of an interesting story for you. And um, it's been covered a couple times on some shows. There's been a few podcasts on it. But what's interesting to me is that it's got this really kind of interesting twist in it that I'm surprised more people have not heard about this. So it's it's actually from 1986. So what I'm going to tell you today is the story of the murder of Kara Knott. Kara Knott, 1986, yes. when we were just wee lads, both of us. I was not ever a wee lad. La- you were a lass. I was I a was wee lass. lass. Yes. Anyway, so uh, my sources for this particular episode are Wikipedia, of course, because where would we be without Wikipedia? Yeah, the best information out there. <laughs> Obviously. Um, and a Medium.com article by Laura Johnson and an LA Times article from January 20th of 1988, which I thought was kind of fun that it was like in the midst of everything going on. Yeah. Do you remember when you had to go to the library and get the microfiche? Now oh, it's just yeah. microfiche via Google. It's great. Oh, my gosh. There were so many different places that I could find information on this, but I kind of pulled from these particular places. So I like it. So let me first tell you about Kara Evelyn Knott. She was a 20-year-old San Diego State University student. And it kind of sounds a little cliche, but I mean, she really did have her whole life ahead of her. She was going to school to become a teacher. Oh. Which that kind of hits home for me as a teacher. Yes, and the San Diego connection, even though you didn't go there, but still. Uh, And also, I'm sorry, they're both from California this time. I promise I'll do something different (laughs) next time. That's all right. We're from California. It's all good. We are. They didn't, I didn't set out to have that happen. Well, the first one I did because it was our home. But Right, right. It's okay. Anyway, um, her friends and family described her as vivacious and bubbly. Like you do. Right? Hey, yeah. Basically, she's your stereotypical Southern California girl. She's blonde. She's got this beautiful wide smile. Just really pretty, really kind, really nice. Mm-hmm. Well... Um, on the night of December 27th, 1986, Kara was driving south on the Interstate 15. So before I continue on with my story, I think it's super important to let everybody know what the Interstate 15 is. So in California, it's a pretty big freeway. I and, mean, and in California, it's also known as the 15. I mean, let's just be real here. You're saying interstate. Well, like I'm you're saying all in case anyone wants formal. to look it up it. or something. Yes, it's the 15. Yes. Um, it basically runs from like Mexico, San Diego area mm-hmm. all the way up to Alberta, Canada. Oh, I had no idea it went that yeah, far. I didn't know either until I studied this. The furthest I ever went north on it was North Las Vegas. And I know it went into Utah, but I had no idea it went that far. Holy right. Cow. So that was actually the purpose of the freeway was to get more people into Arizona, Las Vegas areas from right. California. Right. But now it extends all the way up to Alberta, Canada. Um, the area where she was traveling this evening, December 27th. Um, it's where the 15 connects San Diego, San Bernardino, and Riverside counties. So she was coming from her boyfriend Wayne's house in Escondido, California, and she was traveling to her parents' home in El Cajon. So this was about a 45-minute drive. She had been there taking care of her boyfriend because he was in bed with the flu. Um, she decided to leave. She told him when she got home, she would phone him and let him know that she had got home okay. Well, she'd been there you know, a normal amount of time decided to leave in the early evening. But Kara was also a really responsible young woman. So when she didn't return home from her boyfriend's house after several hours, her parents were immediately concerned. Right. As they they should be. Right. Because they know it's only 45 minutes. They know when she left. So she should have been there. Um, They called the police right away. They were no help at all. Um, So they decided they were going to go look for her themselves. And actually, interesting little tidbit was one of the dispatchers that they called um, was quoted by the Nazis as saying, if I had a nickel for every call I've heard like this, I would be able to retire. 
Yeah. Yeah. So basically they called several police agencies. Nobody was willing to help. Of course, like I said, these were like three different counties right? that they were kind yeah. of searching through. Um, nobody would help them basically. Yeah. So cops, cops get into like this weird jurisdictional right. mood sometimes. And it's really unfortunate because these are serious cases and I've seen it happen um, at a lot of places I've worked, believe it or not here in Boston and back home that, um, it's it's like I said, it's sad. If there's a real crime or a real thing going on, you should put your differences aside and help. Yeah. So what it, you signed up for. Actually, uh, I guess back then it was pretty well known that if the CHP caught a case that was in a particular jurisdiction, that they didn't even follow it. If it was not on the highway, they didn't take care of it. So yeah. that's kind of something kind of happening here at this time. The CHP is weird. They'll take right. their own mother. <laughs> and they won't help if it's off the highway. Like you said, nope, no can do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so around 10.45 p.m., Kara's mother made a call to her boyfriend, to Kara's boyfriend, not her mom's boyfriend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because she hadn't returned home at that point. Um, and she only, she calls and the boyfriend says, no, she already left. Right. So now she's even more concerned. Um, Wayne, her boyfriend, did mention, though, that she was running low on gas. Um, and so that she had mentioned that she was going to go and get some more gas. Mm-hmm. So he thought, no, that's probably what she's doing. She's just getting some gas. No big deal. Or maybe she ran out of gas. So that was kind of his concern. You know, of course, there's no cell phones at this point in time. So she can't call anybody to let her know she's out right. of gas. Yeah. So he decided he was going to drive up and down the 15 looking for her. Um, Kara's father, Sam, drove between the Knott family home and El Cajon um, her boyfriend's house in Escondido, searching for his daughter's white Volkswagen Beetle. So she, typical SoCal girl, had her <laughs> yeah. white Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. Um, in the early morning hours of December 28th, he spied her car off of Interstate 15 on the old Highway 395 bridge. At this point in time, the bridge was deserted. It was abandoned. It didn't really go anywhere. I'm going to post a picture of this on social because it's really kind of cool. So just for, if anybody wants to look this up, it was near the Mercy Road exit, if anyone wants to know. So he immediately stopped. He looked in the car. The window was down and the keys were still in the ignition. So he was very worried at this point in time. Looked around, didn't see her, decided to call the police. Um, The police were called and Kara's body was discovered 65 feet below the bridge in a dry creek bed. She had been strangled and then tossed from the roadway above. This is what got me, though, was that when they found the body, her dad was there. That makes me so sad. This is real quick. Can I just interject? This is a this is a good story because I can completely visualize this entire area. Right. It's kind of cool because I know know this area. area I'm trying to be really specific for our listeners who might not know. the area. It's great, though, because so many times driven right past these areas. I know exactly where you're talking about. And I don't think it's changed much since 86 probably either. Yeah, there's not really much to make it change. I mean, so I've got a great visual of what's going on here. Right. So again, I can't even imagine being a dad and waiting and your daughter's body is found like right in front of you. Yeah. That's every dad's worst nightmare probably. Right. Must be awful. Yeah. So in the days following, the police are obviously investigating trying to figure out what's going on. They don't really have any leads at this point in time um, because, you know, there's really no evidence at this point. Kara's boyfriend was investigated as a potential suspect, but he was quickly cleared because he had an alibi. He was home. He was sick. Mom called hours before she was found. Clearly, he was, you know, not with her. Right. So, obviously, I mean, she appeared to have no enemies. She seemed to have just been a victim of opportunity for somebody. Like, she was just driving along and somebody got her. Police seemed stumped until... Two days after her murder, a local news station, KCST-TV, was covering the homicide and doing a ride-along segment with a CHP officer on safety of female drivers. And actually, I have a clip of this. Hmm. And I want to play it because it's super creepy. Yeah, it is. So I got to play this. All right, let's hear it. Because if you do decide to walk, the CHP says you never know who you may meet along the road. Anything could happen. Uh... Being a female, you could be raped, robbed if you're a male, um, all the way to where you could be uh, killed. Uh. All right. So remember that voice. Not hard to forget. 
He sounds creepy. I mean, he sounds kind of creepy. Is but he anyway. supposed to sound creepy? So, am I mean... I, am I jumping the lead here? You're jumping the lead a little Sorry. bit. But anyway, so this local station, like I said, was covering the homicide, was realizing that this was a female alone in her car, wanted to do a segment with a CHP officer explaining how to be safe on the road. So... He talked about things like don't stand outside your car, um, you know, always stay inside. Don't take a walk on the freeway to find somebody to help you, stuff like that. Um, but he kind of made that little statement about, you know, once you get in someone's car, you're at their mercy and you could be hurt or killed or raped. So anyway, after it aired, two dozen callers, mostly women, contacted authorities about the officer in the segment who was identified as 38-year-old Craig Pyre. The caller said that he had pulled them over in the same general area where Kara had been found. And even though he wasn't violent or super sketchy, he did detain them for an like really strange amount of time. Some of them said over an hour. Hmm. He asked them questions about their personal lives. He flirted with them. He asked some of them out. And in some cases, he even touched their hair and their shoulders. Okay. So <laughs> that's a little creepy. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So can I, may I? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I know a lot of cops. Right. And cops are good. And I don't know who's going to listen to this. So if any of my friends who are law enforcement officers of all sexes or whatever hear this, don't get mad at me. But look a little bit inward and you know what I'm about to say is true. There's some bad ones out there. Obviously. And... Male cops especially are known for cheating on their spouses, doing these things like sexual favors in lieu of a ticket or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, to all the ladies out there listening to this, again, I'm trying to say this carefully. Don't just don't just trust them because they're a cop. I yes, mean, I, right. We'll get into this in future episodes. I'm sure I don't trust anybody. I don't care who the F you are. I don't trust you cop or otherwise but the there's been several instances of this happening maybe not leading to murder but the flirting the sexual favors all that stuff particularly to female victims and male cops yeah, so right again i'm trying to say that carefully because i know a hell of a lot of great cops good cops that would never do this faithful right. to their families all those things but just like in any profession there's bad dudes out there yeah and uh it's scary i've careful. heard too many stories about yeah. Officers of the law doing these things. So Right. Well, the weird part about these women that called in, so again, two dozen women called in. All of them were like an uncanny match to Kara. They all had her exact same So he has look. a type. So he's got a type, yep. right? So that kind of uh, got the law enforcement agencies a little suspicious here. And on January 15th, 1987, Craig Pyre was arrested and charged with the murder of Kara Knott. So again, I just want to point out that voice that I just played for you. That video was two days after she was murdered. And that was who they had just arrested. Crazy. So that was like the, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when I read that story. Well, that's typical of a predator of this nature, cop or otherwise, to present themselves as trusting and, you know, exactly. I'm giving you advice and tips, and, you know, yeah, it's, the, yeah. it's the great alibi or uh, cover up. Exactly. So, again, he was arrested in January, January 15th of 1987. And in May of 1987, he was officially fired from the CHP. So let's just talk about that for a minute. <laughs> well, yeah. January to May, this dude is sitting there being paid. Hot topic right now. As he's on suspension. So I, I'm like, what? Well, as we've seen in current events involving cops doing wrong things, it takes an awful long time to investigate these and sort out the details because I think it's, um, I don't know, there's a brotherhood there, right? Between exactly the law, even the judges and lawyers and everything else that you don't want to jump too quickly and just start arresting the people that protect you, I guess. I, I don't know any other way to say that, but yeah, well, it happens all the time now. Yeah. Even. Well, his neighbors and his fellow officers were, you know, of course in shock. Yeah. Um, they all said, oh, he's a stand-up guy, blah-de-blah, yeah. right? Everybody's just, whoa, I can't believe this would happen. Yep. Um, 
I've never met a murderer that wasn't a stand-up guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some <laughs> out there that were like, they were always really creepy. Yeah, but somebody thought they were a stand-up guy. I'm so surprised that they <laughs> did this act of terror or exactly. whatever. <laughs> so everyone's super surprised. I think that's probably why it took so long for right, them to actually right. finally fire him. Yeah. Um. So basically, this is how it goes. Pyre, who was on duty in a marked CHP patrol car, directed not to pull off the freeway on an isolated, unfinished off-ramp. Many of the callers that, you know, I told you they called in to say that this was kind of odd, um, stated that Pyre had also pulled them over in the same area on the same off-ramp. Oh, wow. So he had his, that was his spot. That was his spot. Supposedly trying to pick them up as dates, right? Yeah. So it's believed that the situation escalated to physicality when not threatened to report Pyre for his inappropriate actions. When he attempted to grab her, she slashed and scratched at his face. Which is also interesting, during the trial, her mother testified that Kara and herself had taken self-defense courses where they told you to claw and scratch at their face and their eyes. Yeah. So she said this is absolutely something that Kara would have done. And that's also typical behavior of the predator as well, that if things aren't going your way, it's going to get physical now. Yeah. Because I'm going to force you. Exactly. Everything's Um, adding up here. Yeah. So at that point, Pyre then bludgeoned her with his flashlight. Um, So they did find a a big, huge bruise on her head that was consistent with the size of his flashlight and strangled her to death with a rope. Wow. He then threw her body over the edge of the abandoned bridge where she fell into the brush below, which is where they found her body hours later. So court proceedings, of course, are going on. There are 49 pages of evidence that are filed against him. Um, some of them being, like I said, the scratches on his face, which were clearly visible, actually, in that news segment that I talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you go watch it, you can actually see the scratches on his face. Wow. Um, he stated that he got those scratches from falling into a fence at the station. Like you do. <laughs> I mean, don't I fall into fences all the time. Yeah, right? I mean, Ooh, those, there happens to be a fence. The there. damn fences, Whoops. they just jump out at you, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they actually investigated that and the fence was too high to have caused scratches on his face. So I guess basically how it was situated, if he were to fall into it, it wouldn't have fallen into the fence, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right about the time of the murder, uh, I'm sorry, right about the time the murder was thought to have occurred, um, witnesses at a gas station saw a disheveled pyre drive in at high speed. One of them, who happens to actually be an off-duty San Diego police officer, well, anyway, he stated that he saw the scratch marks an hour before Pyre claimed that he got them. Um, they've recovered fibers from one of Knott's hands that matched fibers on the CHP jacket that he wears, that Pyre wears. Um, and investigators also found fibers on Pyre's gun belt that matched fibers from the purple sweatsuit that Knott was wearing on the night she was killed. So here's what I'm going to have to say about the fiber situation. That's not a science anymore. Um, Back in the 80s, that would have been like, oh, damning evidence. Yeah, we got you. But now, you know, science has come out with, did you even know that they can't even use like bullet ballistics anymore? No. That they've been able to prove that it doesn't necessarily mean that it came from that gun with that bullet, that it can be matched with other things. So like all these things are just not really turning into science anymore. Yeah, I can see how that would happen with the ballistics. So really the only thing that is reliable at this point in time is like DNA. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately in the 80s, they just didn't have that. This just wasn't a thing that they. So I don't know if you'll get into this, but I just wanted to ask, was there any information of what this guy's plan was? No, and and so he relying on the fact that he's an officer and no one's going to think me so I can just leave this body in the ditch. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure um, I'm going to get to something in a little bit here. I think actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I actually noted it. If not, I'll talk about it. But um, I think this was like a crime of convenience. Like he he needed to do this. Otherwise, he's going to get called. Well, I don't think he's so. A, yeah, he's not a murderer, right? This is probably no. His, first his whole and thing was, one. I'm just yeah. going to try to pick you up. Like yeah. I'm going to try to date you, or or sexual, or whatever. And then when it didn't work out, oh shit, time. Yeah, right. Well, Kara's okay. a, a freaking badass, and she's like, no way, dude, you can't do that. Yeah. So he didn't. This wasn't premeditated. I guess. No, I think okay. he, it just happened, and he wasn't sure what to do. Right. Okay. Um, so that's why he was like, well, "Bridge, throw her over." Yeah, and no one will suspect me because right. I'm a. I'm a good guy. So and glancing at my notes, I don't think I mentioned this, but he, um, some of the officers were saying that in the weeks during the investigation, he kept asking questions about how's it going? Have you found anything? Um, being just <laughs> kind of sketchy like that. Yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, that was, they were saying we're throwing red flags up. This was in the, you know, the couple of days. So like yeah. I said, she was murdered the 28th of, well, 27th into the 28th of December. They didn't arrest him until January 15th. So they had all these days that the officers were kind of getting a little suspicious. They had had an idea pretty early on that it might've been him, but of course they had to gather evidence um, before they could arrest him. There were also some expert witnesses who testified that blood spots lifted from Knott's boot and sweatshirt matched Pyre's blood type. Now he has an AB blood type, which is extremely rare. It's like one of the rare blood types. So it was kind of a weird coincidence that it happened to be his particular blood type. So again, like I said, DNA is not huge right now, but what they do is they can get blood type at least. Right. So they were able to lift his particular blood type off of her boot and sweatshirt. Other experts said that a microscopic piece of gold thread found on the woman's sweatshirt came from Pyre's CHP jacket patch. Mm -hmm. Though this evidence, of course, like I said, is circumstantial at best. It just happens to be there. It could be. It could not be. Um, it does kind of, I mean, it does kind of seem damning. Yeah. If I was on, if I was on 1988 jury or 86 jury, I'd be like, heck yes, that's you, you know, right? Well, what What's damning the most to me is if, you, if you've ever been trained or know anything about like behavior assessment, the way he was acting, asking those questions, going back to what you just said about yeah. that, that's the most damning evidence to me. I mean, his sergeant or somebody in the precinct, whatever you call it for CHP, should have picked up on that and said, hey, I, there's something off about this guy. Like we saw on that Netflix show. Yeah, that, exactly. That murder Netflix show. So, yeah, I mean. Well, so this is the best piece of evidence I think that they have. Um, there was a teenage boy who called in to report after hearing about all of this and seeing the officer on the television. Called in to report that he didn't think it was weird at the time, but he noticed it later. Um, he had gotten a ticket from Pyre that night for speeding. And when he looked at the ticket, he realized that the time on the top had been scratched out had said 9.30 p.m. He scratched it out to then say 10.30 p.m. But the boy was like, no, it was 9.30. Ah. So he's basically trying to cover his tracks at the time of the murder to say, no, I was stopping this boy. Yeah. Um, Pretty so, smart on the fly, actually. I mean, not in defense <laughs> well, not really, of this I mean, guy. Scratch but, out the scratch Well, out I mean, the time. but that stuff happens all the time. I've gotten tickets before and they scratch out, you know, something. I mean, but this is good... Uh, good advice to really look at those things who knows right it yeah so he said he didn't think about it at the time but after hearing it he's like mm, this is actually a little strange yeah right so that was actually a really huge piece of evidence uh for the the uh prosecution's point so there were two trials in the case of the state of california versus craig pyre the first ended in a hung jury in february of 1988 with a deadlock of seven to five for conviction because like i said the evidence that was there was circumstantial i mean it doesn't exactly prove but some people were obviously on the fence um in the second trial he actually they were able to get his third wife karen to testify and she mentioned that pyre had returned home from work shortly after 11 p.m on the evening of december 27th 1986 with scratches on his face and he seemed a little tired she said <laughs> the scratches she said were fresh but not dripping blood and she did not ask him how he had gotten them so i mean I think that your probably, woman's telling on you. Yeah, and that that's uh, consistent with what I just spoke about with law enforcement behavior. Yeah, it's well known. I mean, I'm not making that up. Right. Well, she did insist that he didn't show any unusual emotions on that day. But what I think is really strange is that he didn't testify at either of his his trials. Neither one, which is odd, because you'd think if you were innocent, you would want to like tell your story. I mean, I would think so anyway. Yeah. But he refused. He didn't want to. Hmm. Um, the second jury did find him guilty of first degree murder. And interestingly, it was the first ever conviction of murder by an on-duty CHP officer. Hopefully I don't know if there's the only any one. more after yeah. that. Hopefully but it's the only one. It's the first one. <laughs> Not something to be proud of. Um, I mean, the fa I think the fact that the articles stated that it was the first, <laughs> I think probably means there's more. <laughs> Otherwise, they would say the first and only. Well, was this the current article or the 1988 one? No, these are current. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, the judge ended up sentencing Pyre to 25 years to life. And Pyre is currently serving his sentence in California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo, California. He's been denied parole three times, once in 2004, 2008, and in 2012. 
In all cases, he was presented as a model prisoner and still maintains his innocence. So to this day, he still says he didn't do this. They've got to have him in some kind of solitary or something because if any of the other prisoners found out, A, he was a cop and A, he did that to a woman, yeah. they'd fucking kill him. Well, so from what I read, I didn't add this into the article because I didn't really think it was pertinent. But um, apparently this prison that he's in is known as like the country club of prisons. So Which that's not I right mean, either. Screw, the, screw this guy. Put him in general right. pop. I know. Give me a break, man. So anyway, so um, this is weird, though. So in all of his cases of parole, he was given, I guess, opportunities. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. He was given opportunities to exonerate himself by taking like certain tests, like DNA tests mm-hmm. or, yeah. uh, you know, any other tests. And he refused them all. Which I'm like, if you're innocent, don't you want to prove you're innocent? And then when the parole board asks him, why are you refusing these? He he refuses to answer. He mm. won't tell them why. So that's why they're saying, no, if you're innocent, you would want to prove your innocence. You wouldn't want to. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really strange. So he's going to be eligible for parole again in 2027. Um, and he's going to be 77 years old at that point in time. Wow. So if he gets out, I mean, he could still... Have a little bit of time, but I hope he doesn't get out. It'd be weird. Yeah. So here comes well, the... yeah. Depending on the state of the world and how the world feels about law enforcement, if it's anything like how most people feel about them today, he won't get out. Because right. that would just look bad. Yeah. Well, here comes the sort of good, sort of tear-jerking part of my story here. After his daughter's death, Sam Knott became an advocate for crime victims, which I love. He worked very hard to campaign for law enforcement agencies to monitor the locations and activities of their officers at all times. He also worked to change the standard 48-hour waiting time before issuing a missing, missing persons bulletin to officers in the field, which I think, come on. I mean, I understand that there's so many people out there that are, you know, I'm just going to run away from my family and end up showing up. But you're losing so much valuable time. Yeah. And to they that point, even I don't it, care if they're just upset at their family. They're still missing at that point. Right. Where anything could happen, crime or otherwise. And let's just face it. Uh, cops are very busy, especially in certain areas, but they're not that busy in most areas. Well, it's, so here's the so, situation. Uh, I get it. I'm sure there's so many, you know. 19 20 year olds that are rebelling against their parents because they don't like what's happening and they run away and they're totally fine and i know we don't want to you know lose valuable resources that could be used elsewhere on trying to find some kid that's just pouting and stamping their feet but you could at least issue a bulletin yes but what i'm saying is completely agree like you don't want to stretch your resources and all those things and there are a lot of those instances but like i said they're still missing even if it's for 30 minutes even if it's a call for attention Within that 30 minutes, something terrible could happen. And the whole we don't want to stretch our resources thing is bullshit because there's plenty of cops you see just sitting, surfing through Facebook or whatever. Right. Unless you're in some extreme crime-ridden area where they're constantly going to call after call after call, that's different. But the majority of the towns and whatever around this country, put the bulletin out. Yeah. (laughs) Give them something to do. That's what I'm saying. Just tell them. You could at least say, we're looking for a 20-year-old female, this is her name, this is what she looks like. Yeah, in case you happen to come I across guess that it you don't want to so put busy. an officer on the thing and have him drive around to find her. I get that. That makes sense. Well, that's what you have detectives but for still. if you're going to actually file a report and do all right. those things. And they're doing desk work. Yeah. But put the bulletin out, like you said, while they're so busy, they can at least be on the lookout. Yeah. So he worked really hard to get that standard changed. I, I feel like in some places it, it is changing. There's been quite a few cases that I've heard of where it's only been a couple hours and they still go and look for the person, which I love. Other times they're like, nope, not helping you till it's 24 hours. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he worked really hard for that. As a result of Kara's murder, police now allow solo drivers to maintain driving until reaching a populated or safer area before pulling over during patrol stops. So guys and gals out there, if you don't feel safe where you are, keep going. Oh, yeah. Until you find a lighted, populated area. If they throw their lights on at you, fine. You're going to stop at some yeah. point. And depending on what city you're in, like L.A., they won't even right. it, they won't even pull you over in a high-speed chase sometimes. They'll go all the way home. Yeah. As long as you stop and say, hey, I didn't feel safe and I wanted to go here. Right. And you don't do anything crazy along the way. They're not even going to do anything. Yeah. Um. So Kara's family ended up creating a memorial garden in honor of her and other victims of crime underneath the bridge where Kara was found. 
The bridge has now been renamed as the Karanat Memorial Bridge. They renamed it in 1995, which I think is so nice. The family planted oak trees and other beautiful plants and flowers in remembrance, and her dad would often go there to tend the garden and pay respects to his daughter. Are you ready for a tearjerker? I didn't bring my Kleenex, but sure. On December 2nd, 2000, he was at the garden when he suffered a fatal heart attack and Aww. died only feet from where Kara was found. Mm. Isn't that <laughs> so sad? I but... wonder if this beautiful garden is still there because I know a lot of those areas have burned in fires and whatever. So I hope it's oh, still there. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. We should look that up. Yeah, that'd be sad. So now this is the part that it doesn't really have to do <laughs> With this particular, I mean, it has to do with the story, but it doesn't really have to do with the story, but yeah. I love it because you know me and I love this stuff. Yeah. So in the years since Kara's murder, some individuals have come forward to say that the Mercy Road exit off of I-15 has a strange energy. Ooh. Some have claimed that they hear cries and screaming and even see spirits roaming the area. Wow. Creepy. Well, we're going to check this out next time we're in California for sure. Hello. Well, even if just to go pay our respects, I think that's really cool. So yeah. um, actually, I'll post this on social, but um, people leave like painted rocks and stuff mm-hmm. in the garden. There's like little markers for um, Kara and like I said, other victims of crime. Um, some beautiful trees are p- planted there. So if you ever have a chance, if you're in California, go check it out. It's the Mercy Road exit off the I-15 and the Kara Knot Memorial Bridge. So that is the story of the murder of Kara Knott. Fascinating. I mean, yeah. I know why we missed that one, because we were young. Right. Well, it's... But I hadn't heard of it ever. Yeah, so it's I would old. think I would have heard about the guy coming up for parole and stuff. Exactly. I never heard of that so that's actually what got me on this story, was the fact that I heard about him on the news. And I was like, wait a minute, how do we not know that this killer was on a news story about a person he killed? Well, and also, how many times did we drive by that area? Like I said in the beginning, I can visualize that. Yeah. I've probably been there and had no idea there was a memorial guard, nothing. Right, exactly. So um, I felt like her story needed to be told. It's even searching for it. It was really obscure articles. It was nothing like, I mean, there was that LA Times article from when it actually happened. Right. Yeah. But like I've said, he's come up for parole three times since then. And I mean, there's an article here and there about, you know, 30 year old murder. Yeah. Parole, you know, comes up for parole or whatever, but it's nothing Nothing well, huge. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the news cycle we live in now, there is no more, you know, page nine of the newspaper where right. this would probably show up. Anyway, I mean, you have to be top story to make it onto the social media feed for CNN or whatever. Exactly. This stuff's never going to come up. Well, the other thing, too, is I listen to so many true crime podcasts and and the big ones that I listen to haven't covered it. So it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's I probably that, not enough meat that there for that. one thing alone of the officer, you know, talking about, you yeah. don't do this or you're going to get killed. <laughs> That's I feel like the know. other podcasts out there, and I'm not trying to talk bad about them. They're all great. I feel like they cover the stories that have like a long, drawn out investigation. This one seemed to go pretty quick. Well, yeah. I mean, it did have a really long, drawn out investigation, but I didn't want to, you know. No, I just mean like I, he, I took the, the big highlighted he parts. Only this, he's not a serial killer, which they tend to focus right. on. It's a one-off. He, it's a one-off. Yeah. And he... Overall, it was quite quick before he was arrested. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Right. I hear what you're saying. So I think that's my my thought. Yeah. So what do you have for me? Well, something that was in mainstream media, so I'm not sure how I missed this. I think it's because I just don't pay attention to this kind of stuff. But have you heard of QAnon? Only because you said it. So I said it last episode and right. said I would cover more on it. But they are a, a far right wing conspiracy theory. They allege that a cabal, which is a like group of united people, usually conspiracy theorists, of Satan-worshipping pedophiles is running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting Jesus. against President Donald Trump. Wow. And Donald Trump and this group, QAnon, is battling against this cabal. So I'm pro- I don't know if I'm saying cabal right or not, but... Hey. It's C-A-B-A-L, so I don't think it's like cabal. It might no, be. I yeah, don't know. I would think it would be. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right. The theory also commonly asserts that Trump is planning a day of reckoning known as, known as the storm when thousands of members of the cabal will be arrested. No part of the theory is based on fact at this point, although it was preceded by a similar viral conspiracy theory such as Pizzagate. 
Have you Pizza heard of Pizzagate? Gate? No. So I would I, think I would have with a name like Pizzagate. So I, the popular thing is to put gate after everything. It drives me bananas. Like, you know, I don't know. Just or Mageddon after everything. Yeah, well, I guess. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, Carmageddon when there's traffic or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah. And whenever anyone does anything, you know, secretive or whatever, it's something gate. Yes. So anyway, this Pizza Gate um, began in October 2017 um, with a post on an anonymous image board called 4chan by a guy named Q. Okay? Q, like just the letter. Just the letter. Okay. Um, who was presumably a single American individual. It is now likely Q has become a group of people. So now it's a thing. That's why it's kind of adopted this Q. I get it. A non thing. Q claimed to have access to classified information. So Q is a is a military code for like super super double probation top secret information. Oh. And so that's why he's claiming to be a former intelligence person who has access to this top secret information. Okay. That is involving the Trump administration and its opponents in the United States. So wait, stop. Are they, I'm sorry, are they trying to like bury Donald Trump or are they trying to help Donald Trump? Well, we'll get into that one second. This this particular group is a group of Trump supporters. Okay, that's what I thought. And then you said that and I was like, wait. No, the people that they believe are involved in Pizzagate are the left. So Hillary. Okay, All these people and they believe that they were running like a a sex trafficking ring out of a pizza restaurant. Right. So if you do any basic search on this, you'll see there's been demonstrations, there's signs that are equating the pizza to being like a symbol for the vagina because it's a triangle and all these things. It's 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 really okay. gone down the rabbit hole. Does this have to do with the Wayfair stuff? Are you talking about Wayfair? No. Okay. Wayfair did not come up in this, but I know okay. what you're, you're talking right. about. So let me find my spot here. I'm One sorry. Second. Oh, no, I'm it's sorry. okay. There's just tons of information. So this person, Q, claimed to have information about Trump's opponents. NBC News found that three people took the original Q post and expanded it across multiple media platforms to build internet followings for profit. So just okay. like some of these other things that go viral, right. this happened. It's And you never know when it's going to happen. These stupid YouTube videos that our kids watch, <laughs> all it takes is one person to kind of share it. The best depiction of that that I've seen is in that Wreck-It Ralph sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet, where they just start taking and everybody starts clicking on it and then they share it and they send it there and send it there. Right, yeah. Next thing you know, it's huge. Well, that's kind of what happened to this. It started with one guy and a couple people took it and started sharing it and now it's a, a conspiracy movement. Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. How can we How can we can't get that stuff on our social? I know, right? <laughs> Q, if you're listening, help us out with our podcast <laughs> market here. Um So Q has accused many liberal Hollywood actors, Democratic politicians, and high-ranking officials of being members of the cabal. Q also claimed that Trump feigned conspiracy with Russians to enlist Robert Mueller to join him in exposing the sex trafficking ring and preventing a coup d'etat by Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. So yeah. This thing has turned into this big, and of course it's being associated with Trump because they're kind of protecting him. and they're obviously on his side and they're trying to bring all this stuff out about the left in favor of Trump and saying that like they're against him. They're trying to overthrow him. Okay. So now this group is being associated as a an extremist group. Right. Everyone on the far right, the white supremacists, the KKK, all that happen to be Trump supporters. Of course. Republicans, they're far right, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So this group is now being looked at as an extremist group as well. And it doesn't help that they support Trump. QAnon adherents began appearing at Trump re-election campaign rallies as early as August 2018. Bill Mitchell, a broadcaster who promotes QAnon, attended a White House social media summit in July 2019. The group's believers commonly tag their social media posts with the hashtag WWG, the number one, WGA, signifying the motto, it's kind of wordy, where we go, one we, we go all, all we go right? all yeah how did you know that are you a I'm, member i am Ooh. no i've heard that before who said that be- so a bunch of people have said that before well i don't know but if you see huh. this tagged anywhere or a t-shirt or something you know that this group has been there okay um, which is common with these kind of extremist groups they like the graffiti things and and whatnot but anyway, this group has started showing up at Trump rallies and being more and more associated with Trump, so much so that Trump in a press conference 
earlier this year said, oh, I've somebody asked a question about it and he said, oh, I, I've heard of these people. I understand that they're, they're great Americans. They love our country. And so that just adds more right. fuel to the fire that, that Trump is not, he will not denounce these extremist groups that support him. Yeah. Like the ones I mentioned, KKK, whatnot. Exactly. The groups all over social media, of course. So again, I'm not sure how I missed this. I, I think it's because I don't subscribe to those kind of things or pay attention. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, think our, none of our friends do. So it's kind of like a... Right. And so most of the groups, TikTok, Facebook, uh, Twitter, they've banned the content because it's fake news. It's exactly. false information. And um, some of the stuff is borderline extremism. YouTube, however, is considering it. Oh. They have not banned them yet. So they are still able to post things on YouTube, which they do. Um, this the source of this is uh, from CNN, and they said that they are looking into it because other groups have previously banned terrorist organizations or groups deemed as terrorist organizations slash extremists from promoting false information. And there's a lot of stuff going around about vaccines and stuff, so they're mm -hmm. really looking at that right now um, and considering it as well. Amazon is still offering more than one thousand items related to the QAnon conspiracy theory movement: hmm. books, T-shirts banners, whatever. Um, Etsy, however, near and dear to our heart, they previously hosted QAnon merchandise, um, but they said they banned it because the company's policies prohibit items that promote hate, incite violence, or promote or endorse harmful misinformation. So the Amazon spokesperson said that the company had no comment on the items, which include more than a dozen books about their, their group and their conspiracy theory, um, and it could potentially radicalize readers. So don't be surprised if they soon ban their merchandise as well, because this seems to be growing. And okay. I'm sure that if Trump wins in a couple of weeks, it's only going to get bigger and continue to be a thing, I think. Or it could die down. I mean, maybe they're doing all this just to try to get him reelected and it could go away. Yeah, but I wonder, because these, you know, obviously these are extremist groups, like you said, people know that this is pretty ridiculous, especially the fact that they're like aligning themselves with like the KKK and things we all know to not be acceptable in society. Right. Would it be possible that the other side is doing this on purpose? Well, now you sound like a conspiracy theorist. I love right? it. No, but I think no? okay. you bring up a good point that you said that people know that it's ridiculous. I don't think they do. I and, don't. How could I, you not? Well, I I'll mean, tell you this article from, hold on, the Washington Post, which, you know, if you're a diehard right winger, probably a member of this group, you're going to say all my sources are fake news. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, but this article says that this group is beginning to tear families apart. It's creating rifts, just like this current political climate we're in. I mean, you got... Exactly. Yeah. Disowning their mothers because they're on the other side of the spectrum and whatever. It's really an ugly time we're living in in our society. And people, this this group, if you're a big believer of this group, it's tearing your family apart because not everyone does think it's nonsense. Some people really buy into this. Well, crap. no, and I know that there are some people, but I feel like educated, well educated members of society can see through some of this i'm i'm, well, I'm just speculating because i mean there's so many people that have gotten themselves into cults and not realize that they're in a cult and well and that's an interesting i comment. can't exactly comment on that but and i'm sure i don't know how i would be if, right, right. if faced with information like this but it's i don't know i keep well that's <laughs> there's a very, so many of these out there that i'm like wait a minute yeah and that's <laughs> a very curious comment because when it comes to the republican party you do have like this almost split within the group like you have two types of republicans within the same party right you have the ones that are not necessarily educated think about your confederate flag toting hillbilly type mm -hmm. people but you also have like the ultra rich and and yes you know that that want the tax breaks and all those things that republicans yes. bring so that's a very interesting comment because it's not always going to be the educated people, but there are some educated people that are buying into this so much so that there's, I want to say there's 22 people up for election um, in this upcoming election up for office in various levels of federal and local government that have come out and publicly endorsed this group. Wow. So they're saying that if all of them win those seats, this group's really going to take a foothold and become a thing. Mm. Mm. One, one lady has publicly endorsed and she said has since pulled back and says once they found out that there was misinformation and the fact checking started proving them wrong, she says, oh, you know, just kidding. I don't I don't support them anymore. But other ones, they're all about it. They're into it. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting and a little bit scary as well. So due to the overarching belief of the group, the Pizzagate and the, and the, the left doing the human trafficking and all that, um, it has started to spark demonstrations around the world. So it's not just an American oh, wow. thing. There's been some in the UK recently, and they are um, dubbed as Save Our Children rallies because they're really buying into the theory about the whole human well, trafficking. Well, and who wouldn't? Case. Like, who, who yeah, wouldn't want right to support now. something that, you know, stops human trafficking? Like, why right. would you not? Right. And, and I've got to say, maybe I'll do a... Um, a story on this at some point because there are quite a few of them that I'm like, how do I know that this is a good thing? Um, that's that's a huge cult thing. Is they get you to buy in on something that why would you not want to buy in on that? Right, right. And then they push the rest of their beliefs on you because you're like, oh, but they stand for this one thing. Yeah, drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah. So who is this Q? Right. Um, the two Americans most clearly associated with this person um, and, and the author of thousands of what they call Q-drops, which are these things that are go out on social media. Um, well, is they should have called them Q-tips. They really <laughs> missed a huge, huge thing there. And that's why I married you. And that's why. <laughs> um, they date back to uh, October of 2017. And the authors are James Arthur Watkins, 56 years old who gained control in 2015 of the controversial anonymous message board 8chan. So when I read that, I was a little bit shocked. Like, 56 years old, I thought it would be some millennial hacker type person. Oh, yeah. But it's some. Uh, it turns out it's probably more like some, you know, white nationalist crazy guy. Interesting. I would imagine. And his son, Ronald Watkins, not Randy Watkins, Ronald Watkins, <laughs> <laughs> former 8chan administrator and current that administrator. Yeah. Of his, <laughs> of its successor. Um, I think that was Randy Watson anyway. I screwed that up. My favorite movie. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I thought, well, obviously I screwed it up. Yeah. Too, so. The Watkinses owned eight coon. So now they have, they, coon? now they have eight Chan and also four Chan. I don't know. This is all weird computer so speak. Many, yeah. So yeah, I'm not hip to the eight Chan, eight coon, whatever things. And the articles aren't very clear about what they are, probably because the authors don't know what they are either. Um, but what makes the story even stranger is since 2001, Watkins has been living in the Philippines. Oh. Like who chooses the Philippines? Well, if you're not from the Philippines, the extradition who goes and lives there? Process from it the doesn't Philippines. go into that, but I'm going to research that because I'm curious about that as well. But yes, according to Philippines immigration records um, that was obtained by ABC News, he's been there since 2001. The quote here from Frederick Benin, the creator of 8chan and Watkins' former business partner, says that if he's not Q himself, he can find out who Q is at any time. So this is the key. This is the missing link to the uh, Q. This is the Q tip, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's pretty much the only person in the world that can have private contact with Q. He's the only person that through the board that Q started on 8chan can send Q a direct message and get into private contact with basically the leader of this political cult. Everybody wants to hear from him right now. That's what Brendan said. So it's it's just one of these. Uh, all I can picture when I'm reading through this is like the Matrix and, you know, um, what was his name? Neo in his dark room hacking into things. Yeah. Sending out these viral messages. But it's creating this huge movement that people are actually believing in and buying into. Um, in 2003, when uh, Brennan was living in New York City, he said after dreaming up the idea during a trip on psychedelic mushrooms is when they decided to create oh my. this group. He moved to Manila in 2014 to work with James and Ron Watkins. And in 2015, he cut a deal that turned over ownership of the site to the elder Watkins. He continued to work on other Watkins projects until 2018 before splitting entirely and to date remains embroiled in a bitter personal dispute with the family. Hmm. So he turned everything over, but now they're having a dispute. Watkins and his son, Ron, who have previously denied being Q, declined repeated ABC News interview requests and did not reply to a subsequent list of questions from ABC News submitted through his U.S. attorney and in letters delivered to his home and business in Manila. Manila, that's where all the folders come from, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I like those folders. They're great. A day after the letters were delivered in Manila and ABC News spoke briefly with the Watkins brother-in-law, an ABC News reporter was blocked from accessing Watkins's primary Twitter account. Oh. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we have here. But, um, again, the theme of this podcast, how do we miss that? This, I started hearing bits and pieces of it here and there when Trump yeah. came out and said it. And 
But I think in the news cycle right now, everything is so twisted and convoluted and one-sided, very democratic. And so half the stuff I read, I don't know if they're just trying to throw Trump and the administration under the bus. And so I kind of stopped reading. I pulled back from it. And I don't follow these dark web kind of 8chan, whatever the hell it was called. Yeah. And so I, I think it's easy how this could be missed. But I think that especially for me in the field and the circles I run in and work in, I should probably pay attention to this because this is just another extremist organization that's going to cause protest activity that's exactly. probably going to turn violent. And, you know, the result of the election in a few weeks is going to definitely sway them one dire- direction or the other. Yeah. I found it interesting. I read the other day that law enforcement agencies all around the country, local, federal, state, whatever, are all training and preparing for unrest after this election Ugh, because of groups like this. Yeah. Win or lose, there's going to be some kind of protest or or problem. And so um, lock up your kids and pay attention, everyone. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get rough here in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And be on the lookout for things like this. Like I said, if you see someone wearing that T-shirt in the grocery store or whatever, just take note. Don't necessarily be afraid. It's just like if you saw right. a Hell's Angel at a ball game or whatever, or a gang member. You just kind of take note and be aware of your surroundings. That's what I'm here to tell you on this show as we go forward. Keep your head up and pay attention. Yeah, right. Exactly. Heads up is our one of our mottos. So I was... I was not trying to be rude. I was on my phone trying to see which countries have extradition treaties with the United States. Yeah. And there are quite a few of them. I don't see Philippines on there. I do see Vietnam is one of them. But uh, there's actually quite a lot. I'm quite surprised. Yeah. I mean, there is a whole huge document about the treaty between the Philippines and the United States and what they'll extradite for and what they won't. But I was not about to read all of that while you were talking. No, that's all right. I appreciate that. Yeah, but that would be interesting to see why on earth you would choose there. Yeah. So I'm that's sure all I, a reason. That's all I got on Q Anon or mm-hmm. Q or Watkins or whatever you want to call him. Right. Um But yeah, I mean we're calling this show How Do We Miss That? And that's for us how we miss these newsworthy events. But like I said, my side of it is I don't want you to miss anything. I want you to keep your head up and pay attention to what's going on because there's some uh there's some shit going on. I mean, even though it's a conspiracy theory about what the left and these actors are doing, sex trafficking and other things like that are going on right under our nose. Absolutely. So, I mean, there it's is crazy. Yeah. And there's there's little clues and little symbols. I mean, you think this crap just exists on the, in the movies? It doesn't. No. It's everywhere. There's a lot of technology out there and just a lot of bad people. So. I watch enough Law and Order SVU to know all about that. Oh, yeah. And I've watched enough movies about conspiracies to know all about it. <laughs> Um, and like I said, those while it's just movies and entertainment, I I know that it exists. It's uh it's quite scary. So absolutely. All right. All right. Another good week. Another good week. I can't wait till the next one. This is fun. I know. It's so different from our other show. It's good. It is. It's very good. All right. Well, okay. we will see you next week. And until then, heads up and take care of each other.